When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi everyone and welcome to Pixels, a podcast for the discerning gamer. everyone welcome back to pixels this is a show where we cover the news from the video games industry i'm patrick beja and today i'm going to be doing another solo show uh, the schedule is still a little bit complicated with the baby so uh, hopefully this is going to be the last one of those and we can get back to our regular schedule regularly scheduled programming uh, starting with the next episode but uh, yeah another one of those i hope you still enjoy them um, but uh, we're going to be doing a quick one and we start with great news for Capcom. They've sold over 7.5 million copies of Monster Hunter World. We talked about the game um, last episode and uh, we mentioned that it was getting rave reviews from pretty much everyone and great reactions from players as well. So it's not, I mean, you might think, uh, well, in that case, it's normal that they sell that much. But uh, this is likely going to be the highest selling game in Capcom's history ever, which obviously is is very significant. Uh, the formula, the Monster Hunter formula, was bound to be discovered by the West. Uh, obviously, it sold incredibly well in Japan as well. It would be interesting to know how much was sold in the West and how much in Japan. Uh, likely, a, at least a couple of millions in Japan. It's a, it's a very big game there. Um, but yeah, so pretty big win for Capcom. Um, this is bigger than uh, their previously uh, biggest selling game, which was Resident Evil and uh, Resident Evil 5. But uh, the, the Resident Evil 5 got other additional editions that brought it over 10 million. So yeah, I'm actually more uh, surprised that it's selling more than um, the, the Street Fighter series, which... I guess shouldn't surprise me because the heyday of the Street Fighter series was at a time where video games weren't as wide-reaching as they are today. But there you go. The interesting thing there is that Monster Hunter doesn't have any additional monetization means because they've said that every piece of content that would be brought afterwards would be brought for free, including monsters and stuff like that. Which I'm sure some people will applaud, but the other uh, side of that coin is that it's not a lot of content. And it seems that a lot of uh, uh, players already kind of, the, the well, the players that went through the game the quickest uh, spent a lot of time in it, but now they don't have a lot of stuff to do uh, anymore. So yeah. Take uh, out of that what you will. Uh, still, huge success for uh, Capcom and by all accounts, an incredible game. I'm still, um, 
I don't want to say lukewarm. I think I like it fine, but I don't, I don't know that I will get beyond that. I like it fine stage. Maybe because I don't have any more time to, to play, uh, the game, but, um, it's, yeah. Anyway, I've said what I thought already. So it's, it's cool. It's all right. And it's a piece of video game history now. So uh, that's, that alone is a reason to get it and give it a try. Another, uh, Big success in the sales department is Horizon Zero Dawn. We all knew that uh, the first party game for the PlayStation 4 was super, super successful. Uh, obviously, one of the best games of last year. And um, it sold 7.6 million units worldwide a year after release. The interesting thing there is that, obviously... It is a, a very similar number to the one I just mentioned for Monster Hunter World, but it's on one uh, platform only. It's a PlayStation 4 exclusive, and it's looking like it's the highest-selling game in uh, the first-party category for PlayStation ever. It's surpassed uh, games by Naughty Dog. Uh, Naughty Dog. <laughs> Weird pronunciation there. Um, so, yeah, it's selling better than things like Uncharted and uh, The Last of Us. So... Pretty. I mean, everyone knew that this was a huge success, but I don't think anyone would have guessed that it would become the best-selling first-party game on the PlayStation platform in its history. So expect to see Horizon Zero Dawn games for the next 15 years at least, I suppose. Um, I will be very excited to see what they do with Aloy and that world in the future. There is a lot of stuff to um, to be explored still uh, mechanically it's going to be interesting to see how they uh, bring you back to a more manageable maybe they give you they uh, st you still have all of your abilities and you add more onto them but uh, anyway that's very i'm just wondering how they're going to mechanically create a sequel that still makes you feel like you master additional stuff but doesn't make you feel like you've lost what you've done uh, in the past so maybe there's no choice and they will have to go that route but um if you're still playing aloy it would be weird to have her become less powerful of a, all of a sudden but um yeah that's video games i guess Metal Gear Survive has been released, and uh, obviously people know that this is a uh, the, one of the first Metal Gear titles without Hideo Kojima at the helm. There have been others, but I mean, this is a, a significant one because he was unceremoniously uh, fired, uh, what was it, two years ago from Konami, and uh, Konami has basically garnered the scorn of the entire gaming community. So the release of this game, which has very little in common with the canonical uh, Metal Gear uh, series, is, well, <laughs> so first of all, the game isn't great. Apparently, it's not too bad. You know, it's one of those, all right, whatever kind of game like you play it and you never think about it again uh after that uh so it's not gonna turn any heads by any means uh the really interesting thing however is um when it, it, there's a sort of an easter egg in the game when you select your name you have a list of those uh you know the famous 
Metal Gear names where you have an animal and an adjective. Uh, so a list of those names. And uh, in those is a hidden message seemingly from the team, maybe from one developer or one person in the team, where the uh, first letter of some of the the, the name, uh, the second... <clears throat> sorry. Um, so the first letter of the last name of some of those, uh, when you put them together, they create the message um, uh, KJP Forever. So Kojima Productions Forever. And the last two names on that list are Bastard Yoda and uh, Cunning Yuji Yoda, uh, uh, Y-O-T-A. And those are the names of the uh, two of the leads of the game uh, from, you know, Konami. So I don't know how that wasn't noticed, especially the last two. But um, yeah, it seems that the rumors about Konami uh, being a notoriously difficult company to work at and some of the... Um, employees being less than happy with their working conditions. We've heard horror stories about those with constantly changing emails and, I mean, pretty terrible stuff. Uh, that found an echo in that little Easter egg. So, yeah, it's the kind of game no one would have really noted if it wasn't called Metal Gear, and uh, I don't think anyone is going to remember it. The interesting thing is going to be, what does Konami do with the franchise in the future? It's I, I can't imagine we're not going to see a Metal Gear 6 at some point, um, and, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, yeah, so Metal Gear Survive, as expected, it's not turning heads anywhere. Um, Detroit Become Human is going to be available on PlayStation 4, of course, uh, on May 25th. So we have a release date for that. Um, Assassin's Creed Origins Discovery Tour has been uh, released. It was released a couple of weeks ago. Uh, it's a free upgrade for people who have the game, and it's available for 20 bucks on PC as a standalone. It's not available on a standalone on the other platforms. For those who don't remember what that mode is, basically it is a way to explore the map of Assassin's Creed Origin and the history and culture of ancient Egypt. And I was afraid when they announced it that it was be it would be just a uh you know a quick job where they would just get uh loads and loads of text somewhere in the game and you would roam around and click on stuff and read the text well i'm happy to report that this is not what it's like it's actually pretty well done um you play as basically any character it doesn't really matter uh you roam around the map and what you found you find there are Tours. You can teleport to them, of course, but there are icons in the world where um, you, you have a theme for the tour. And when you click on them, you start the tour and it takes you through a path that's superimposed on the game world, like a GPS type uh, um, UI. And it, you have different uh, steps in that tour. And you have a narrator that tells you about the topic. So, for example, let's say you have a tour about the uh, pyramids. Uh, or education in uh, Alexandria or you know any any one of those um you will have like from 3 to 15 different steps and every step uh the narrator the game pauses kind of and gives you a vista and the narrator tells you about 
this specific uh, uh, place or topic, and you can have uh, you can look at a piece of archaeological. Uh, data be it a an image or a photo or something like this and you can look around and then you walk some more to the next step and it tells you a little bit more and uh etc etc until you complete the tour and it feels quite uh, compelling it's you can, of course, uh, roam freely in the map uh, be- between the different uh, tours. So you can also look at how things are going in the in the game world in a, without any uh, risk of uh, encountering uh, uh, having an encounter that would you know start a fight or anything like that. And uh, it's honestly very well done. And I would be uh, so. What I would love actually is for them to retrofit this kind of thing in every <laughs> Assassin's Creed game, which obviously is never going to happen. Um, but uh, I really hope they keep doing this for the future. I think it's a very valuable tool, tool and um, it, it tells you also uh, when they made choices that were artistic choices for the game and uh, what the historic, historical accuracy was in that uh, context and stuff like that. So overall, I really like it. Uh, I think it's valuable. It's a great... I had an interesting discussion with my uh, French co-host on the French version of the show, and we had the discussion about how uh, historically accurate things need to be. And I think it's a this is a great compromise because you have the you get the flavor of uh history in the game even though it's obviously not very accurate um and you then if you're interested in that you can dig a little bit further with that discovery tour and maybe then go into you know uh, uh if you're really passionate about it uh go into reading books and and actually uh, uh scholarly works on the topic and i think there's the question of how well will it work with uh as a teaching aid and some people are saying well you know the the accuracy might be a problem and i really don't think so i think it's a, again a great way of making it palatable and interesting to people who might not have uh, realized that they were interested to begin with so imagine being in a class and maybe half of or you know a portion of your class is spent doing this and then you 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 are a little bit interested and and the the professor or the teacher tells you a little bit more about the the actual way that things were going in that uh, uh you know par- portion of egyptian history or you know any um setting that these games take place in so i think they have a good start at a teaching aid with that first version and uh it's a really interesting one i'd be curious to hear if some teachers end up using it uh, as a, a tool to get people a little bit interested Nintendo rumors, or at least one rumor. Uh, it's been obviously Nintendo always releases new versions of their hardware, especially the handheld uh, hardware. They have uh, new versions pretty soon after release sometimes. Um, there's been rumors of a new uh, version of the Switch, or I shouldn't say rumors, speculation is more appropriate. Um, Everyone thought uh, that this would be happening, and to be fair, it will very likely happen at some point in the future, but... The, the, the rumor now is that Nintendo is holding off on a second version of the hardware, um, 
that they were developing. It doesn't mean, you know, it was going to be released this year, but they're holding off on making plans to release it even maybe the year after uh, that. And they're focusing on peripher uh, peripherals and things like that to, to get more sales. Um, the the really interesting thing here is that uh it seems pretty obvious you know the the switch is still selling uh incredibly well and there's no reason to put out a different version of the hardware because the goal there is usually to uh redynamize uh that's a french word to revitalize the sales and you can sell that piece of hardware to people who already have the previous one and who want the the more modern better smaller um one so that's one one way to go uh Obviously, you can make a portable-only version or a, uh, a TV-only version, stuff like that. That would also work. Um, I guess before they did that, they would need to have uh, saves that would uh, be saved to the cloud so that you can switch between <laughs> the different versions of the console you have. But that's another discussion, and I don't know that Nintendo is ever going to manage to do that. Um, but... Yeah, so it, it doesn't make sense for them to release a new version of the hardware this early into an, a hugely successful uh, console cycle. So I have no doubt we will see that happen at some point, but it's working out so well for them that uh, they don't need the marketing boost from that. And they're still having trouble, you know, uh, producing enough of this version of the machine um, to satisfy the demand. So really no reason so it's not a surprise uh per se I, I i know a lot of people are hearing this and going like well duh and yes i understand it's not very surprising but in a way it's kind of a consequence of the surprise of the success of the switch which um as people might remember a year ago because the switch is basically one year old what a what an anniversary what a console um it wasn't a given. So they, I am certain they had plans for a new hardware and they are pushing them. So it's not as well done as you might think. So there you go. And since we're talking about the Switch, I do want to mention uh, the, the game I've been playing on the Switch, Celeste, which I did talk about last episode and I want to talk about again because I finished it. And I would like to reiterate how incredible that game is. I think it is a really wonderful um, experience. And uh, I can't remember if I said this quite like that in the previous episode, but it blends the storytelling and the gaming experience in a, a way that makes the player feel what the character feels through the gameplay. And that is a, a, an achievement that is only possible in the, with the video game uh, medium. So not only that, but the game is also really fun and sometimes frustrating but ultimately rewarding and the story unfolds in a way that is very unique and very um enchanting and and all of this works together so well um i i love that game very very much it's on my game of the year list uh and i would encourage it's only 20 bucks it's great on the switch it's available on all platforms i would really recommend people give it a try um it's the kind of game that i never thought i would enjoy and celeste 
makes me enjoy it. Uh, very quickly, for people who might not have heard me talk about it on basically every show, it's a precision platformer, die and retry game, um, where you will die many, many times until you manage to get the mechanical skills that allow you to go through the different uh, little screens and little levels. But the way it's structured makes you... Uh, enables you to do things by the end of the game that you would have looked at, uh, you know, 10, 15 hours of gameplay before and would have thought, this is just not for me. I'm not even going to try. But it manages to do it. It's unforgiving, but welcoming. It's wholesome. It's beautiful. And it's hard. It's, I can't say enough good things about Celeste. Uh, I would really uh, <laughs> recommend you give it a try at least, you know, check out some someone's, give it a try yourself. Like find a friend who has it and say, you know, give me a save. I'm going to give it a, 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 a half an hour if you don't want to spend the 20 bucks. But I doubt that many people would regret it if they actually do spend the 20 bucks. So this is one of those games that I think, um, you know, I, I always like to, recommend games with two different uh, styles of recommendations either a game is great for its genre and fans of the genre have to play it because it's so great in that thing that they already like um or it's so great as a you know in the genre that it transcends it and that even fans that are you know gamers that are not fans of the genre should give it a try because it goes beyond uh, that thing you know it's the same with with movies and books and pretty much everything and and even music and like sometimes there is a, a movie that is i don't know a, a drama or a superhero movie or an action movie that is so great that even if you don't usually like uh superhero movies you might enjoy it or if you don't usually like dramas you you would enjoy it um this is that celeste is a game that is enjoyable by anyone and the genre really doesn't matter so yeah <laughs> as you can tell i really like it um let's talk about loot boxes a little bit uh there's been some movement there uh first of all uh in Hawaii, the representative Lee, I believe, has introduced a bill that would uh, require games with loot boxes to have uh, pretty much the hard line of what we were, I was predicting, would probably happen if if uh, lawmakers were to le legislate on that issue. Um, I say the hard line because it's a little bit of all of the proposals that I uh, thought would be reasonable because I've always thought that um, uh, completely forbidding outlawing loot boxes was not really a reasonable, a feasible approach. It was uh, not something that anyone who knows the industry and understands how things work would seriously consider. Um, it was a lot of angry people saying this, but I think it doesn't work in, in reality. So anyway, beyond that aspect of it, um, the, the hard line would be... Um, First of all, uh, signaling the fact that there are uh, loot boxes, very reasonable. Uh, displaying the percentages, uh, uh, chances of obtaining different types of items. Uh, and then uh, the, the one that I think is a little bit 
that makes me wince a little bit is um, giving it a, a, an age limit. So in this case, in the case of Hawaii, it would be uh, 21. So under 21, you couldn't buy a game that has loot boxes. And I, I understand the intent. I just think it's, well, we've already talked about it ad nauseum. I'm not going to go back into my reasoning. Um, I think if you want to put an age limit, it's like maybe 16 would be okay. Uh, and even then, I'm a little bit hesitant. I've seen so many times the, uh, the, 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 the idea that this or that element of culture is going to hurt you. Like, do we really not trust an 18-year-old or 21-year-old with, like, what are they going to do? They're going to spend $15,000 in loot boxes? That's another aspect, actually, that I think is is not heavily discussed in uh, that, that conversation and which I think is important uh, to look at is what are the damages being caused by these loot boxes. And I'm not trying to defend loot boxes for the sake of it. I think uh, labels, and we're going to talk about this in a second, labels are fine. Percentages, sure, why not? Um, but over, so the, the, the thoughts I have on this don't really bear on what I think should be implemented. I don't think uh, uh, banning would be reasonable. I think Age limit is okay if you really insist. 21 seems a little high. Like you, you, you can't, uh, like at 21 or before 21 in some countries, you can drink, you can smoke, you can drive, but you can't buy a game that has loot boxes in it, like including, uh, 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 cosmetic loot boxes, like that's a little bit overboard, right? If, if you can drink and drive and, and vote, maybe it's okay that you can buy a, a game, a freaking game with loot boxes. And that leads me to, you know, the comparison with cigarettes and, and, and gambling and all of this, like loot boxes, I don't think we've seen a lot of damage done by, because when you evoke things like gambling and, and smoking and, and all of those, this actually has serious consequences, right? And I think the mechanical, like, oh, there's a, a, a thing that explodes and you don't know what's in it and you have items, evokes gambling, but then no one has really uh, been showing that the, the real danger of gambling is people going bankrupt, right? Because they have this illusion that they're going to get rich and they can't stop themselves from spending all their money in um, the, the, the slot machine or, you know, whatever gambling they do or the horses or like, which by the way, in most countries you can <laughs> play uh, uh, those things when you're 21, when you're uh, 18. So again, 21 as an age limit on games. All right. Anyway, so the, the issue there I, that I see is the worst I've seen is people you know, spending maybe, uh, I, there are two, two things, people complaining about it and not using it and people who spend a lot of money in it. And usually it seems they're kind of happy. They're like, well, you know, FIFA ultimate, ultimate team is my game and I love it. And I spend, yeah, maybe 20, 30 bucks a, a week, 20, a hundred bucks a week on it. I've seen those on Reddit, you know, and, and they say, 
I, it's just my game. I, I want to be spending all that money. And those are very rare cases. I think most people uh, will spend, you know, 20, 50 bucks once, maybe once every six months. And they get the thing. Maybe they don't get the thing they wanted to get. And that's it. And again, maybe there's a secret population of people who are incredibly damaged by the plague of loot boxes and they're spending hundreds and thousands of dollars. And, you know, we've heard a couple of cases of kids getting hold of their <laughs> parents' uh, credit card and spending hundreds of dollars on, uh, uh, on uh, mobile games uh, with energy um, systems, which is a completely different issue, by the way. But... Um, I'm not seeing people saying, oh, my God, I, I, I spent my, my uh, uh, loan money on the game. It's So, again, I can hear people fuming behind their, uh, their, uh, <laughs> their headsets. I'm not saying we shouldn't do something. I just want to put a little bit of perspective on this because with the kind of law that is being introduced in Hawaii, it means that a kid can't buy, uh, uh, you know, can't play Hearthstone or can't play Overwatch. And those are the, the, the good examples of that uh, uh category but even you know i've played destiny 2 a lot i've played shadow of war a lot they have loot boxes the idea that a kid uh, someone under 21 cannot buy destiny 2 is ridiculous it is ridiculous i'm sorry that game is not alcohol it's not uh uh you know it doesn't incur the dangers of gambling so uh, that I've seen, that I've shown. Show me that it does, and then maybe we can talk. But before we start legislating on this, I think we should at least ask those questions. Anyway, so that's my thought on it. I'm sure many people are going to disagree. I think my view on it is somewhat reasonable. And actually, I think someone that is not being very helpful is the ESRB that has uh, introduced, that is introducing a label, which I'm saying would be great. Uh, so I do think there are things we should do. But the SRB is introducing a label that would uh, signal in-game purchases on, of any kind. And that, I think, is wholly unhelpful. If you are going to include a label, I think it is a good thing, and I would actually uh, think it's necessary at this point, um, then you need a label not for in-game purchases. You need a label for loot boxes and maybe a variation, uh, a, a variation for uh, cosmetic-only loot boxes and uh, gameplay-affecting loot boxes. But... Not just in-game purchases, because that includes DLC, expansion packs, uh, uh, characters or items you can buy outright. So it doesn't tell you anything. Every single game today has, or let's say 80% of those games have some kind of in-game purchase. So this is not... This is not helpful at all, and I think it's a waste of time and, and energy. Uh, uh, at the bare minimum, we would need a uh you know surprise box label basically a, a loot box um label if you want to do that then that's what you need so i mean i guess it's better than nothing but it's like out of 
the uh, <laughs> out of 10 for the appropriateness i think it's like one it it it's pointless so um there's that aspect I, it, they're saying it's just the beginning and they have a lot of discussions in the industry and all of this but i think hopefully this is when they say it's just the beginning they're going to have variations of the, that label and loot boxes will be one of those but however you know there's an interesting um trend that's coming up uh we've seen articles in kotaku and us gamer talking about different games um one being uh the next battlefield apparently is uh coming out uh well it's coming out this year and it's going to be a world war ii themed game um so there are a number of, of developers that they talk to and um people have reacted to the controversy and developers do not want to be the the next battlefield 2 they are being very cautious about everything and uh, they are apparently implementing loot boxes sure but cosmetic only which some of those games already had cosmetics so maybe they were thinking about changing up the models but the, they, they are letting go of pay to win uh ideas for games and it's not just one you know developer it's uh it's there are a few uh, of them that have been echoing this sentiment which leads me to another thought um you know i've been advocating against anger quite a bit especially in this debate and i think it's unhelpful to um be so angry about all of this and it actually fuels unreasonable conversations there's a small part of me if i'm being very honest and i hate being honest but i guess i have to um a small part of me which wonders maybe if people hadn't been that unreasonably angry the consequences wouldn't have been that the industry took that much of a notice i want to believe that the conversation could have happened without the anger but there's always going to be that that little part of me that wonders well if people had been saying hey guys this isn't cool you maybe shouldn't do it then maybe the developers and publishers would not have taken notice and would not have been now rethinking their strategy i think i think it would have been possible but i'm just trying to be honest here and, and say there's a possibility it wouldn't have so yeah that is the um the 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 discussion about uh loot boxes we'll see how it continues to evolve i think we're getting to a point we're getting somewhere now we're getting to a point where um Things are starting to make sense. Developers are fighting, fi finding the balance, which I think they found with DLC. Uh, I've mentioned this a few times. DLC was kind of the outrageous thing a few years ago. And now we have a satisfying win-win uh, um, system for DLC as well. I think we're getting there with loot boxes too. I really think that if you only have cosmetic items, for example, it's unreasonable to complain that much about it, especially given the context of, you know, how much games cost to develop all of this. Um, I think there might be ways of uh, having items that are not only um, cosmetic if it's within certain limits, like only in single player, that's more acceptable. And if you can purchase that item outright as well as getting in as getting it in loot boxes that you uh, get by playing the game for example or maybe you can also buy loot boxes and buy the thing outright it, i mean there are there are ways of making it um not <laughs> battlefront 2 basically so we'll see uh in the next uh, year or so i think we'll have this settled
And finally, uh, PlayStation Plus is not going to be available on... Um, well, PlayStation Plus is... Oh, actually, I was going to say something silly. Uh, it was on, on PS3 and Vita, but it didn't include the, um, the, the online gaming functionality. That is, you, you need to be a PlayStation Plus member on PS4 if you want to have access to online. But on PS3 and Vita, it was uh, available for free, the online access. However, what was not available was the games that were um, given for free every month. And uh, in a sign that the PS3 and Vita are... Uh, definitely going away into the sunset. PlayStation Plus is not going to include games for those platforms anymore uh, in 2019, in about a year. Um, the, the PlayStation 4 games are still going to be included, of course, but uh, we won't have PS3 and Vita games after that date. So I don't think it's too much of a miss there. Uh, those platforms are very well eclipsed by the PlayStation 4. And uh, by the way, this month, uh, PlayStation Plus gets you Bloodborne and Ratchet and & Clank. So if you're a PlayStation Plus subscriber, don't forget to go to go get them because those are two really highly regarded games um, uh, they, they, that you should have in your library. And I think that is going to be it for this uh, for this episode. Um, yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog film in November 2019. I don't even want to think about that. So I'm not gonna. There you go. My last word is going to be, again, um, check out Celeste. Just go check it out. Go at a friend's house or buy, or at the very least... Put it on your wish list and get it when it will be discounted in a few months, which it undoubtedly will be. You won't regret it. So, Celeste, it's an awesome game. Thank you very much for listening. I'm Patrick Beja. My uh, Twitter handle is not Patrick. I'm also not Patrick on Facebook. And you can find this show at frenchspin.com. Hopefully, we will be back for the next episode with our regular schedule, as I said, uh, where I won't be alone talking to you <laughs> um, about just the news. And uh, that will be cool. I hope my little one will allow me a little bit more time. Maybe I'm deluding myself. We'll see. But I will be here and I will talk to you. Have fun. Bye.
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.